Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks again for being a part of this great conversation that we get to have with amazing people from all over the world. And today uh, is definitely no exception. I, I'm Phil Dark, your host, and uh, with me is Brandon Stiver, as usual. And uh, Brandon, man, how you doing, dude? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's it's you know the the it's actually snowed in you know Tacoma, Washington today. So I'm still kind of getting my bearings a little bit, you know. Uh, but uh, but yeah, yeah, things are good. Uh, you know, and just want to throw this out there. It is a new year when this uh, will be releasing, and uh, we are going to be doing some new things on the podcast, and definitely want to let our audience know. And uh, in 2023, one of the things we're going to start doing is actually inserting ads. Now, <laughs> please uh, hang in there with me. Uh, you know, this isn't about revenue. We're not monetizing the podcast or anything like that. Like, we're not a huge podcast and the orphan care space is, is very niche, uh, niche, niche, however you say it. Anyways, uh, what this is really about is about promoting resources, books, courses, uh, those things that are going to help you better love and serve orphans and vulnerable children, foster kids, and, and really families of all types with more excellence. So you'll start hearing a little bit more of that on the podcast. Um, and, you know, these are things that Phil and I uh, believe in and agree with and want you guys to continue to get better equipped. Uh, and aside from that, we probably don't do this enough. But, uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you're you're gearing up for orphan care, give us a like, give us mm-hmm. a review, give us a five stars, all of that. And subscribe. That, that, and subscribe, and that would that would help me be doing even better today. But I'm doing good, man. How, how about you? How are things? I'm great. And, you know, this is going to be long over. World Cup will be long over by the time this actually gets out there. But I, I do have to just at least talk about the fact that we just finished watching the U.S.-Iran match, that the U.S. just barely made it by the skin of their teeth. And uh, skin of their teeth, I don't know, whatever that is. You know, anyway, they barely made it. Yeah. And uh, it was, I, I might have a stomach ache the entire day. That's all I'm going to say. But it was it was pretty awesome. So, yes, And I also you, will say, oh, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, definitely we're, we're recording this November 29th, getting mm-hmm. ahead of things a little bit as we go yep. into the holidays. So in all likelihood, when this releases in January, you know, who even knows if we make yeah. it past the Netherlands, but doesn't matter. A tip, a tip of the hat. We made it out of group play. Uh, That's right. Good job, boys in blue. That's a big deal. And, you know, and folks out there, we don't normally talk about sports on this. That's the How Soccer Explains Leadership podcast that I get to do that. But it's World Cup time. I'm going to talk about it even if this releases in January. You're going to already know by now who won the stinking thing. But now we're just talking about we're fired up right now. So the other thing that's really interesting, speaking of fire, the opposite of snow, we're interviewing Jeff Rogers today. And uh, Jeff is a, a super good dude out in, he's actually in Kona, Hawaii, um, on the Big Island, which, again, to let you know when we're recording this Mauna Loa just erupted again the lava flow is happening so we're going to be praying for that again you'll know kind of what happened with that by the time this uh, comes out but be praying for uh, different uh, different things out there just for people to be safe for their for their homes to be safe and um, you know for uh, yeah for everything to just be all right out there but we got Jeff Rogers today he was uh, he's a producer 
uh, movie producer. He did movie Lost Kites, which I think was episode 15 or 16. We had Sam Rich, who's actually our producer of this show. So it's just like all this cruel connections. Um, he and uh, Jeff worked on Lost Kites, which is an amazing film. If you haven't seen that documentary, definitely go check it on YouTube. We'll have the link in the show notes. He also just finished up and just released Beyond the Island. Watched it again last night. Fantastic, fantastic film about HIV. We're going to talk about that on this episode today. So without more from Brandon and me, we're going to get to it with Jeff Rogers. Well, Jeff Rogers, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on uh, the Think Orphan podcast. How are you doing today, man? Great, Brandon. Good to, good to be with you guys. Well, we appreciate you making some time, and uh, we know at the time of recording, uh, your entire island is uh, blowing up, so we're glad that we could uh, make a connection with you today. Um, Jeff, can you just introduce yourself to our audience a little bit and, and just share a little bit, you know, YWAM background, media production, you know, how did God uh, bring you into this space? Absolutely. Well, back in 2007, 2008, rather, I did my first documentary and we were traveling across the Silk Road of China, doing that with a missions volunteer team. And from there on, I, you know, I learned a lot of lessons, made a lot of mistakes, you know, in, in the first efforts. But I realized that there was something there for me that I could be able to tell stories in a way that would move people and invite them to bring change in their communities or issues that they're facing that I could listen and really focus on what people are trying to say. And out of that, I've, I've worked on seven documentaries now. Um, some that would have relevance for the Think Orphan crowd is, of course, Querida Panama was our first piece that was dealing with orphans and vulnerable children in Panama. And, and then that really encourage us to go further and then do the lost kites project and that was a 20 nation in 20 plus nations two and a half years of interviewing many different experts and caretakers learning deeply along the way and then sharing the story of three vulnerable children and their outcomes and what happened as they were pursuing their dreams and interacting with our team and the people that were caring for them or not as the case may be and so then from there, it's gone on to other, other smaller series and lots of different partner projects with World Without Orphans, One Million Home, of course, um, Christian Alliance for Orphans, um, Forever Families of Canada, though I think they have a new name beyond, uh, now. Um, uh, I, I should be able to pull that up, but if I, those, they're great people. All of, all of these different partners. I love how the community of NGOs and charities and nonprofits in this space, help one another so readily and share tools and, and resources and just do what they can to, to promote the better good of children. And, you know, of course we have different ways and perspectives on that, but I see a real sincerity in that when I, I talk to a lot of the experts and I interview and listen and just be able to makes it easy to grow when you know that people want to work together. And, and that's, that's very encouraging. So with that, I've, gone out with different teams and helped film some of the training in in Kenya with One Million Home, with your your crew there. It was amazing time, learning a lot during that season, and then seeing pieces that keep coming out and the e-learning and the and just the different things that can radically shape the future in a in a much better way. So I, I'm excited about all of that. 
So with all that, Jeff, and I know that we had the opportunity. I, I mean, I had the opportunity. I guess you're always out there in Kona, but I got to visit my daughter out there in Kona. We got to hang out one afternoon. I saw some of the really cool things. We're going to talk more about Beyond the Island, which is an amazing picture. I, I just watched it again last night, and I mean, the to, hats off to uh, to Sam as well with the just the the cinematography and the you know the, some of those images. I know I know he wasn't as big of a part of it as Les Kites, but. It's it's just a beautiful just just watching the video like the the cinematography of that movie is alone is is insane, but the story is incredible too, which we're going to get into later. But what we've seen with Lost Kites with with Carrito Panama, you know, which Brittany DeVries, by the way, was also on the show back with Sam on that ep that same episode. She made you you know you worked with her on that in Panama. But um, what have you seen that you know the role of filmmaking? Uh, in ministry and with the marginalized groups and with, with, you know, the orphan and vulnerable communities in particular, you know, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, uh, doing it, but, but why did you start doing that? And what have you seen? What impact have you actually seen happen through the filmmaking? Um, you know, not just the filmmaking, like the film itself, but also through the process. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question. We've, we've seen, live shaped forever because of some of the stories we told in it. It's our small part. It's, it's the families, the caretakers, the, you know, the different social workers, people who've shifted their careers, their education plans, their family life and dynamic of who, what, who is my family and embracing in people into their family and, and family restoration. So many things like that, that we've seen that you just can't ask somebody to make a life decision like that after 45 minutes, an hour of talking to them or sharing with them in some way. And yet we see people doing that out of some of these pieces. I think I trace it back to um, Susie Childers and Voice for the Voiceless was a Youth of the Mission initiative that from, you know, like the early 2000s through till like the 2015 or so, they did a, a, a huge series of different books and publications and documentaries and different stories that would show vulnerable people in different parts of the world, many times native and indigenous or marginalized people. And with that, they didn't show them with a fly on the eye and a sense of just the things that have created compassion fatigue, you know, the not seeing people as people, not seeing people in the dignity and the honor that, that they deserve, even if their situation doesn't show it at the moment, but to film them and to photograph them and to listen to them in, in a way that they really do deserve. That's something that Susie Childers and voice to the voiceless led out. And then I saw that and I realized, okay, yeah, we, that is the way forward. That is what we've got to shift our paradigm and how do we treat people? And of course, that's for any area of society, but especially storytelling, especially photography and imagery and advertisement and fundraising and recruitment. All of that can either be about building global community or it can be about the existing hierarchies. Um, I think would be one way of looking at it. I heard a quote that it says to build you have to build a bridge of trust that can sustain the weight of truth. And I've seen that play out because there are some pieces that like my cousin, David, he does films and he does narrative. 
And I love his work. I love the impact of that. And yet I've noticed people consistently misunderstand and misinterpret some of his stories. Now, some of that misunderstanding is intentional. People like to misunderstand so that they can say that you're bad, right? And then just name, call, and cancel and do what we're, we're getting way too into these days. But why does it happen with the larger crowd of the misunderstanding? I think it's because we sometimes present truth through fiction and it can get a little convoluted. Um, whereas truth presented as truth, I think has a, a much stronger appeal for direct action and response that rather than just saying, okay, I will change my thinking on this. And then someday, I mean, we, many people have seen taken as a story about human trafficking and it did raise the awareness and the understanding of what trafficking is and how it could affect your family and, like there, it'd be great if we all had a guy with a special set of skills to defend us. <laughs> but that story hasn't stopped slavery and global trafficking from increasing exponentially in the last years. So it's million dollar, multi-million dollar picture, and it got huge response. Well, if that doesn't get a change to happen, then what could? What could be more? you know, tuned to, to build that bridge and help people make direct changes. And then I, I look at, there was a documentary that Voice of the Voiceless did called Sex and Money, A Global Search for Human Worth. And then Nefarious, um, Benjamin Nolo, and a number of different other pieces that have come out since then, where they're, they're showing real stories, sometimes reenacted, but presented factually from the firsthand accounts, not hyping, not twisting and being just inspired by true events, but showing true events, hearing true voices. I think what we learned in, in those years, I, I started working with Voice for the Voiceless as a part of YWAM and, and YWAM is Youth at the Mission. Of course, that's our acronym for the mission. And, and as I started doing that, I realized it wasn't about being a voice for the voiceless, but it was about giving voice, giving the microphone to someone, giving the shot to them so that they are seen, they are heard, they are understood, and they're not misconstrued or just, you know, if we were to use the terms of mansplained or some other kind of, you know, way of explaining them to the world for them, but instead to just listen and to really go deep in that and wait on inspiration. You know, the God can meet us in those moments of vulnerability. I remember interviewing this young woman in Calcutta. And she had told us a truly, truly tragic story, except that she had survived, except that she had survived in order to care for her, her siblings, her brother and sister. And they were all alive to this day because of her going through the darkness that she went through, nearly committing suicide, losing her parents to depression and like her dad dying suddenly of, of a, a disease. And then her mom literally succumbing to depression so bad that she stopped eating, stopped functioning and died in her arms, in her own daughter's arms. And as I hear her tell this story, I'm realizing, okay, how do I share that with the world? It's too dark. It's too hard mm -hmm. for many to hear that, but they need to hear that. 
how do I build a bridge of trust that they could even give us a moment to listen further? It's a complicated story. It's a nuanced story. And it, it has incredible theological and spiritual you know, implications as to where is God and why am I going through this and all of these things. And yet by the end, you see it and you realize that he was never gone. And all of that, there were, throughout the whole telling of the story, there were these long moments of silence where I'm just like giving her space and giving her time to rise to the occasion, to tell a story that she really didn't want to tell, but she had prayed and felt that she needed to tell it, that it mattered for the world and for others that would face things like what she'd faced. And so she had chosen to, and that's a power that shouldn't be manipulated that's a, a power in what she's saying and being her identity is powerful. It's not just the words or the entertainment value of vicariously suffering through somebody else's tragedy. That's not the point. That should never be the point, but it should be her giving us a chance to realize that we could change this situation. If we could see her, hear her. So those things I, I I've just been really moved by that. I've seen many different, nonprofits and charities listen carefully you know as we get into documentary projects they they learn to not just do their spiel and share it short sweet say it we'll say what you're going to say and then say it and say what you said those are all fine tips and things like that but i think we need more storytelling as a craft versus the tips and hacks and best practices alone don't always do that but hearing someone connecting with them and then letting them fully verbalize, you know, what, what mean, what matters to them and what could matter to us in the world. And it takes time. And you guys are sitting here listening to me <laughs> and maybe that's, you know, you, you've been there, done that a million times, I'm sure. But to be able to give people space, it's just a delicate and beautiful thing. And I, I think it's a real honor for me to be able to listen like that. Um, and I, I, I love doing that. So. Yeah. You know, and you, you hit on a few things there. I mean, I could spend hours unpacking just that last five, 10 minutes, but one thing I'd love to kind of hone in on, cause I know there's a lot of organizational leaders that listen to this podcast, a lot of people that are doing ministry around the world. And as they're listening to you, I know I'm listening to you and, and going, man, I want to do that. Right. Yet. And you hit it, you, you, you hit on this a little bit. Storytelling is an art, right? It's not something that you can just go, oh, just tell the story. Everyone's like, just tell your story. Well, yeah, but like you said, sometimes it's just too dark and people are like, mm, I don't really want to, you know, you just don't want to be that depressing person talking all the time. Um, but you can see where is that light in the darkness. And that's, that again is that art of storytelling. There's a reason why it's called an art. Um, there's also the filmmaking side where, you know, directors are important, producers are important, the different people that there are different parts of that. And most organizations have no clue how to do any of that, right? So how would you say, you know, nonprofits can, can leverage the power of film and, and, you know, and the storytelling when that may not be their gifting and they don't have massive budgets to be able to put it into that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, medium? Well, I, I think, relationship is is key you know 
uh, a film could damage just as easily as it could build. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's very important to recognize. You do have gotcha journalists and documentarians out there that are not looking to help you build, but they're looking to tear you down. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a lot easier to tear down than to build up. So building deep trusting relationship with a filmmaker is key. Um, I think it's also important that you, you build that trust mutually, that they can know that what you're doing, the motive, the the end goal, the means of how you want to do it. And those kind of things to spend time and hear from each other and really listen in that would be key um, so that they can know, you know, and then out of that, it's, it's figuring out who is the audience, what is their needs as an audience, how can we meet those needs with a message that has a hook and it can draw them in and give them what they need to, to push forward to bring a positive change. And honestly, film is that many, many times because it allows us to go beyond just cognitive understanding of here's the information but you can have moments of lyrical storytelling and narrative where you're just like you're in the story you're immersed in it feeling it and experiencing somebody else's life in a way that you just probably wouldn't even if you were in the cafe having a conversation with them you might not dare to ask or or go go that deep or listen that that intently and yet if they get the right filmmaker to partner with they could do that they have the power of of stories that they're living in and around and we've seen that so consistently all around the world you know the 20 plus nations for the lost kites piece 51 nations that i've been to in in my life and just globally you you see how people who are responding to orphans and vulnerable children are immersed in life transforming work they are not doing loads of theory that never gets tested that, you know, even our researchers and our ones who are, are provide the big brains to the, to the movement, they still get tested because their, their work will affect not just vulnerable people, but vulnerable children. And so with that, there's a testing, there's an integrity that is called to, so, so they're, they're going to know people whose lives will be changed and impacted for good or for bad. And we, we have to be real that not just the stories, but our, our work in every way, we will have to grow. We will have to adapt and get better for it, for it to do more, more good than harm. And, and those growing pains can be the big problem. You know, we watched Rwanda hear the message of, you know, we need, family-based care more than institutional care um and yet they made a plan for changing the entire national system within two years that doesn't usually work and so what should have been five to six year plan became a two-year plan and many children fell through the cracks and many books were fudged and and people that we met and and knew were placed back into hasty and and risky family situations and things like that that have happened, not just there. Brazil was telling many stories of failed reunification attempts, you know, where the goal to restore family that is so important and so critical and such a, a universal value and a biblical value, but done wrong, done hastily, 
can be a sword to kill instead of a scalpel to heal. And so I think in working with filmmakers, you're going to have to help them grow with you and learn how to, to listen just, you know, to what will actually bring the change that they think is needed um, as opposed to just trying stuff and see what sticks on the wall. And, and yeah, I, I heard uh, a, a Bible teacher tell me this quote when I was a teenager and, and we're, I was just getting started in missions, going out in volunteer teams and working with young people. And he said, you know, if you're going to be a plumber, you're going to learn by trying to fix some sinks. And sometimes you're going to mess up and you'll mess up somebody's sink. But if you're going to pastor people, if you're going to disciple people, you could ruin people's lives. Mm. And the sobering fear of God that came over me from that quote was really key for shaping my awareness of what, what am I going to do next? How am I going to talk to someone? How am I going to listen to them? How am I going to help them grow? And, and not just, yeah, not go on my own self, you know, self-esteem or human reasoning alone, but to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man like Jesus to, to build my awareness and my wisdom, I have to study and to grow and to listen and to change. And so I think those are some of the things that I'd love to see in a filmmaker that's going to partner with, with nonprofits and NGOs. I want to see them, you know, not just be the expert, but to be the learner and the listener is key. This episode is brought to you by the Attachment and Trauma Focused Therapy online course by Deborah Gray. You guys remember hearing my conversation with Deborah Gray in episode 208. And after decades of this work and a catalog of books, she's truly one of the most impactful therapists and thought leaders on trauma and attachment issues relating to orphans and vulnerable children. The ATFT program was produced by One Million Home and is available in partnership with the Honestly Adoption Company. You guys have heard our friend Mike Berry on the pod in the past two, of course. And for a limited time, this course is available for only $99. In the course, Deborah covers an array of topics that are pertinent to both parents and clinicians. One of the best things that you can do is refer this to a therapist that you know to get better equipped and also get their annual continuing education units. It's a full-length accredited postgraduate program with over 20 hours of training, and it's critical information for those of us in the sector. I first went through the course back in 2021 and was so blown away that I knew I wanted our team at One Million Home to make this course more available to a broader audience. So go to honestlyadoption.com front slash ATFT to sign up. Use the promo code ATFT99 to get the huge discount. I mean, guys, professionals typically pay $1,500 for this course up here in the Seattle area but you could dive in for so much less and be better equipped to love and serve kids coming from hard places. Yeah, I mean, I think people have heard that a little bit on this show over the last couple hundred episodes is, uh, you know, it's that same, it's just collaboration, right? It's relationship, it's trust, it's building trust, it's listening, it's understanding, it's it's knowing each other, it's, it's you know, it's all of that. It's not coming in as, as an expert, it's coming in as a learner. Um, humble learning posture. It's, it's, it's critical. And, and on that note, you know, you know, with this new film, this beyond the Island, again, we'll have the link to it in the, in the show notes. Definitely go check it out. Um, 
how'd you become aware of the issue? You know, that it's HIV AIDS in, in uh, Papua, Papua New Guinea. Um, uh, and you, you learned about this and you know about it. How did you learn about the issue and, and really what made you going back to what you were just talking about, that trust building and all that, what made you, um, first of all, um, feel like you were, um, competent to take up the issue but then also be able to take it on and, um, and make this film. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm certainly still growing and learning, but um, I, I first got connected with the issue of HIV AIDS in Brazil. My wife and I went to work with a, a shelter for children with HIV um, that, that youth of the mission is running in Brazil was running in Brazil. And bringing our son with he was at the time three years old and you know we got into it a lot of it happened through prayer like like many of our our outreaches and and initiatives we were praying about where to go what to do and we ended up you know through that i met a a, a leader for the work there in brazil and he invited us to come and that first day i remember meeting a young man named Hobson and we had prayed and felt that we were to tell a story, but that we weren't going to get to tell it, but we were going to capture it. And the kids there would be doing drawings and they would be doing the voices and they would, they would, you know, we would just help put it together. And so with that, that very first morning I go in to his dorm room and he's like, you know, in, in Portuguese, he's talking to me with all this animated excitement. He's like, oh, uncle, uncle, let me let me show you my drawings. And we knew we were looking for an artist, but we had no idea whether we'd find someone. And then he opens up this notebook with page after page of these anime style, cartoon network style kind of drawings that he would do. He's like, do you like it? I'll make one for you. And in like 30 seconds, he draws this you know, drawing better than I could have done, certainly. And, and he shows it to me. And so we ended up doing that and doing a story. It was just like a allegorical story about Jesus. And, you know, I, I'm sure they'd had hundreds of volunteer groups come through and want to serve and want to help them. But because we didn't just come in and do a drama for them or sing them a song, you know, or do another VBS. Those are all good things. But we empowered him to tell his story with his artistry, with his voice. And he pulled in all his friends and they got to do the voices. And we put it all together. It's a super simple little animation. Years later, I came back to Brazil and we found we found each other, re reconnected, and I met some of the others, and they still remembered that story after all that time that had passed. And so, <clears throat> sorry, we've got a lot of bog from the volcano here lately. But um, with that, he became, you know, with that experience, just that moment of seeing him as an artist, he was not a person with HIV. He was not a child I was to care for. He was Hobson. And he was a inspiring, energetic young man. And so I don't think I realized that then I wasn't into doing documentary yet. I was just doing like, you know, kind of your, your basic promo videos and commercial type video work, a little bit of television, but it was very static, very structured, you know, not very dynamic. And 
right there, we were already doing the voice for the voiceless thing, but we didn't realize it. And so then that played forward to later in 2012, the same year that, that one of our teams that we trained here in Kona went to Panama for the Querido Panama documentary. Another team went to Argentina and they did a HIV documentary there. It's interesting because the Panama piece also had HIV as, as part of the storyline as well. That was how we got into the whole thing was working with an orphanage that was caring for children with HIV. But in both countries, they were engaging the same issue, seeing it as a contributing factor for, you know, unparented children losing their, their family and their caretaker. Um, communities not knowing how to respond to it. It's interesting how universal the, the response is when you don't know what to do about something that fear sets in, that stigma sets in, that people do things that their culture would say never do but they're doing it out of fear and they're doing it out of this sense of I've got to protect myself from this unknown mysterious danger. I think we've all gained a, a measure of humility going through the pandemic to realize what it's like to not have something that everybody's afraid of. And then most all of us have had it finally, <laughs> you know, we've all gotten COVID eventually. Usually, I mean, I, there's a few people who haven't, but most people have gotten it. And then there's this, shifting of how we all respond to that unknown fear that it brings a humility and a an awareness that you know life isn't forever we can respond to these things with compassion and understanding even if somebody feels very differently about you know say the pandemic i can still hear them and be their friend and not make it just a political thing or something like that so Argentina and Panama, both of these stories are happening. Well, the Panama story, as, as you heard with, you know, Brittany and, and Sam was powerful and it changed the nation and inspired us deeply. Argentina didn't bring a whole lot of change. The people that were working with us as partners, you know, had to pull out of the project late, late in the project. And they were not able to carry it, do the distribution. We spent like seven, eight years distributing lost kites, for example. Um, Brittany spent a year intensively pushing Cadido Panama and then many more years after that, being an advocate for that same change. And, you know, there's still a lot waiting to that needs to change in Panama for the, the promise of what began there to really be real and realized. Mm -hmm. So, Argentina was was kind of failure. And and with that, I I didn't know what to do with it. Um, just kept the the piece and didn't really have a lot of screenings, didn't have an easy way to share it. But I just stuck it on Facebook one day. And across the world, on the other side of the planet, in Papua New Guinea, my friend George, who I'd known from my teenage days growing up in Youth the Mission in Texas, we had met. He's he's out there in Papua New Guinea and George sees it and says, Jeff, we need this here. We need a story like this here in PNG. He had been involved with his nonprofit called I Care For You, a YWAM ministry there in, in the capital of Papua New Guinea. And they were caring for children who, who had been directly orphaned by HIV. And even after WHO and, and many major international, you know, NGOs and nonprofits had 
started doing awareness campaigns and medicines and testing and all these different things, honestly, the situation hadn't really broken through where the rest of the world globally is declining in statistics on, on HIV AIDS. Papua New Guinea has stayed static and sometimes been rising. And, and so realizing that, hearing that, it connected me with a, a, an earlier story of when, I don't know if you want me to go into that whole story, but my son, when he was five years old here in Hawaii, um, he comes home one day after going to school and they're at this youth at the mission school, teaching kids to pray for the world and for nations. And he comes home and he's like, daddy, I'm going to Papua New Guinea. Do you want to go with me? And with that, I'm like holding back tears and just wondering like, how does he know this so real? I could tell it wasn't just him saying stuff or somebody put him up to it. He'd heard something that was very real. And so holding back these tears, I'm like, yeah, I want to go with you. Mm. Time goes on. He, we ended up going back to Texas. We had a whole bunch of Papua New Guinean youth of the mission volunteers come and join and staff with us there. So he ends up growing up with PNG uncles and aunties around him. And then 13 years later, we've moved to Hawaii. He's about to graduate high school. This is right around the time where George says, hey, we need this story told for Papua New Guinea. Could you come? And then right at graduation time, I get an invitation to Australia to, to teach media there. And then from there, we, we found out we could go with the YWAM ships and go into some of the different villages and, and cities of Papua New Guinea. And we would get to finally go to PNG. And so with that, it just, this, this whole lifelong dream for my son, born in prayer, is just about to happen. And we go, we get on the flight, father and son for his very first missions trip. We, we do the first medical outreach in, in Western province, one of the most remote parts of the whole planet. Definitely for PNG, it's the, it's the harder to get to parts of a very challenging nation to to get to you know and with that we we just receive so much love and care from the people even as we're being a part of medical you know clinics and helping people with many different needs in their communities capturing their their photos and their video you know video clips so that more help can come and be able to serve their communities and they got it they were like you're like what, what can we do to help? And they would, they would smile and they would share their story and they would do what they could do. You know, I mean, I've been a lot of places where people are so shy and they're so reserved and everything's on guard, you know, where here the arms are just flung wide open yeah. and deep, deep embraced by the, by the people and the culture of PNG. And so we go back to the Capitol, finally get to see George after, you know, it's been like, like, I think at that point it'd been like 18 years since I'd seen him. Um, no, 15 years since I'd seen him, you know, and, uh, all of that coming to, to, to meet George, to see his, his work with, I care for you there. We finally met this woman and her name's Sylvia, Sylvia John. And so she's the subject of the beyond the Island documentary that you, you saw. She's this person of just courage and overcoming incredible odds. and. It's not just, you know, 
a, a challenging story of life that she's gone through slavery, uh, hunger, poverty, being deprived of education, facing abuse in, in marriage, physical, emotional, verbal abuse. And, and then in the midst of all of that, finding Jesus, finding hope, having this moment where she's sleeping at night and she has a dream three times in the same night. She dreams of this white piece of paper and it says HIV on it. Without education, she didn't even fully know what that meant, but she realized she was supposed to go and get tested. She figured that out. And so she goes to a clinic and she realizes she's HIV positive and they've explained what is going on. Three kids with her, a, a husband who is deeply abusive. She walks down to this beach and looks out over, over the bay and she's just weeping and asking God what what's going to happen for my children I don't want them to go up grow up and face what I've had to face and then in that moment she sees this island off in the distance and she feels in her heart that that God speaks to her he says you see that island I can see beyond that island and with that she knows he can see me he can see my situation mm. So then right then, as you know, in the movie, the, the phone rings and something happens, but I will not tell the audience because that would be a terrible spoiler. <laughs> don't don't give away too much, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Island.org. Yeah. You can go to the website and you can stream it, download it and watch it and share it, you know, far and wide. If you'd like beyond the island.org and everybody can hear the end of that yeah. story. Yeah, no, it's it, it's a remarkable story. I, I felt as though Sylvia was just such a perfect subject for 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 this subject. Um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in there, uh, Jeff, that I thought was interesting was, um, you know, you're talking about HIV, AIDS, and PNG specifically. You know, if we were to look at orphan care and, you know, dial the calendar back, you know, 20 years or so, uh, I mean, there, there, there was no, it was, it was almost like uh, the, the interwovenness between HIV, AIDS and orphanhood was just undeniable. And it still is. But, you know, with the advancement of ART, with the advancement of all these other things, it has become in many communities more of a chronic disease rather than a death sentence that it was in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s. So it is, it is interesting, you know, to kind of think back as far as, you know, is this still as pervasive as it is when the orphan crisis, you know, uh, really kind of uh, really grew? Um, and, and in PNG, that's been the case. You know, one of the commentators that you guys interviewed talked about it as a time bomb, which you don't normally hear in 2022, you know. Uh, so, you know, as you were working on this film and it, it had a piece in what you guys did in Argentina and and uh, Paraguay, uh, Peru as well. Sorry, Paraguay or Peru? Panama. Panama. <laughs> Wrong P in Latin America. Yeah, sorry. My, my apologies, Brittany. Um, but, you know, working in Panama and, you know, Argentina and now in PNG, you've gotten a chance to learn a lot about HIV AIDS. You know, can you just kind of specifically to PNG, just kind of give us an overview, you know, of the negative effects of, of the disease on communities 
families and in and especially children you know within the country sure yeah in in png you have 95 percent of the cases of hiv in the pacific region are in png and so what that plays out to is is most families have someone in their family or know multiple people at least in their community that have been affected by hiv the you know the global stat i i think what have we got 37.6 million globally is still strong you know it still is a you know endemic now where where we don't see it go away but it's still there it's treated in in many places better than than we see in png and that's not really just because of lack of healthcare it is the stigma it is the way that people respond to it that hasn't grown and redeemed in the way i i think you see it happening in sub-saharan africa or in parts of latin america and other parts of the world where we we don't shrink back but we say okay well let's get you the test let's get you the medication and let's help surround you with the care that you need so that you can stay consistent and that's that's more fiction than reality in most parts of png even where you have testing even where you have treatment there's places that we we went to this one region uh, on my most recent trip to png and they didn't even want to administer the tests because they knew that if people got a positive they would be kicked out of their village kicked out of their home to to not just be facing a life threatening disease but to be instantly homeless and probably lose your job probably lose your ability to provide for yourself and maybe your your kids or whoever you know, counts on you that's a that's a more realistic picture of what people face in png there's uh, 55,000 adults for a country that is not very highly populated that's a lot of people but out of that 55,000 only 36,000 are on treatment so with that you've got you know 15,000 undiagnosed uh, is is the estimate and there's just a lot of unknowns there and so leaving it there this would just keep you know spreading like a wildfire as right. as that one expert shared and yet with sylvia telling her story we've just seen such amazing response in in the people there we were able to get onto national television multiple channels we we're able to be to get her interviewed on this nationally syndicated radio program out of those moments you could see how the thoughts were shifting we had a couple like three different influencers for png and you know it's a it's a developing nation but they have influencers they are very social media active you know these two of them had more than forty thousand followers alone uh each of them and they were sharing about how emotionally moving the story was for them and why is that i know it's because it's not just theory it's not just them hearing a story about someone that they've never met it's hearing a story that's a mirror for their cousin or their uncle or 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 some friend that they'd had people that they've lost people that they've known are that are continuing to suffer and and to hide 
and to try to avoid the shame stigma. Well, that that can actually be shifted through media and storytelling if we do this this very careful but honoring process to say Sylvia's story matters. Hear her, look at her, see what she's talking about, see what she's overcome, and realize that you could do that. Right. It's not just putting someone on a pedestal and then hoping they don't fall, but it's saying we can all rise. We can all elevate beyond just secrecy and, and shadows and death. We right. can we can live, we can get treat, tested treatment. I mean, this is me on my soapbox for sure, because I've been hearing so much from Sylvia, from George and from the others there that I just I would love to see that story played out in the different other major issues that we see in other parts of the world. Yeah. It's not yeah. always HIV AIDS. There's many other issues that can create that similar type of shame that people can, you know, if, if we were to dial it back a few years, you know, crisis pregnancy was not something that we would easily respond to with, with good compassion. You would see people get stigmatized and cast out of families or, forced into abortions or things like that to respond to something that is a desperate need for help. Right. And so looking at, you know, change that channel from HIV to crisis pregnancy or to, to, you know, mental health issues or to many different other issues that we face globally, we can walk in, in a truth spoken in love and storytelling in a way that will shift and change culture and redeem culture. Culture is not a static set in stone thing that never, never evolves, but we can speak to it. If we get that, that right targeting moment, that right, you know, kind of pebble in the, in the pool to create the ripples, it can change things. Yeah. I was thinking about um, this one family, we were doing a, a follow-up piece from lost kites in, in Canada and getting, ready for it was the orphan Sunday video that, that, that CAFO, CAFO puts out Christian Alliance for orphans. And they said, Oh, there's this family in Canada. Could you, could you help interview them? And, and Kirk from the lost kites team, Kirk Wong was, was there and he was going to be filming, but they wanted someone to do the interview. So I start interviewing them and asked him their, their story. And as they shared this, this guy, Carlos, he starts telling about how they, adopted their children and how their family became their family. And he's like, yeah. And we we're at this conference and we saw a movie and it, it changed the fear that I had the desire, you know, to have a fa a larger family in this way. And, and I, I didn't ask it at the moment, but I was like, is he talking about, cause we were at that conference. We'd shown lost kites there. And, and it was, it was yeah. lost kites. And, I was just so moved by that moment to know that kids that were across the world from him in, in Colombia had been adopted to his family in Canada, him as a Colombian national immigrated to Canada. I, I know international adoption is, is fraught with many challenges, but I have seen it be used as not just a next best, but it can be a very redemptively powerful way to, to provide care for children. Yeah. And and so with that, I just realized what had been orchestrated beyond all of our awareness that that little pebble had had made a ripple we never even would have known about. Yeah, if no, we had just 
looking and listening, you know? Yeah, that's so cool. And such a such a such an attribution to the role that media can play in this to overcome that fear. And fear is something that you mentioned early on. And, you know, fear is also related to stigma, you know, um, as you were alluding to earlier. You know, and I think that with Beyond the Island and and even, you know, from the example you just gave from Lost Kites, you know, it's addressing within the country specifically you know, this, the prevalence of stigma, you know, that is attached to HIV and AIDS within the country. You know, when we, when we were, would try to track where that comes from, you know, why is, you know, PNG not in the same place that countries in sub-Saharan Africa are? Or I, I don't know, like, where does that, where does that stigma originate? And, you know, what's, you know, in addition to this, to this movie that, that is sensitizing and, and shedding light, you know, where does it originate, but then also what's being done to overcome that stigma, you know, to help people get the support that, that they that they truly need, right? Because the meds make a big difference. The education makes a big difference. Strengthening families, it really makes a difference. But you but you have to overcome the stigma to get to all of those support systems. So where is it coming from and, and what can be done to overcome the stigma attached to HIV AIDS in, in the PNG? Mm. Well, beyond the fear, I, I think the the other source of it is is just it you know whatever is your strength you know, you know evil and darkness kind of want to make wants to make it become your downfall you know your whatever you're good at can become your idol can become your your you know snare and so i i see that pretty consistently in my own life and in many other people's lives where my, the way my grandma would say it, if the devil can't get you one way, he'll get you another. And by that, you know, if if he can't tempt you to drink, he's going to tempt you to be so strict and legalistic in your in your spirituality that you're no use to to reach anyone or things like that, you know. And I think that there's something like that happening in PNG that needs to be undone. I think the gift of family and community that is so powerfully theirs needs to be protected and redeemed it's something that they're not just destined for they've lived it for generations i mean we went to this one village they traced their their community story all the way back to the flood they told me their community story that they'd heard before they heard the bible story about Cain and Abel and the flood and, and, and Tower of Babel. And I'm like, this is such a powerful ancient people with that, those roots and that sense of place and that sense of, of belonging that's, that's meant to be theirs. But for something to come in and become such a force of fear and darkness that all of that would be poison, man. I, I I think we just got to call them back to who they are. It's not like I'm saying it. It's Sylvia saying it. It's George saying it. Right. It's it's that reality of who you were is who you're meant to be for them. I we saw the same thing with there was a, a world without orphans piece that that Sam and and our team worked on called a village without orphans, and and that whole story of what was it like. For, you know, to grow up in a village where if if someone lost their parents through tragedy, they wouldn't even have the sun go down before the extended family would have adopted them into their their home. 
and they would have become a part of the larger family. And so that's them responding to child abandonment with, you know, extended family care and support from the community and the village. And so if, if we can see something like that for PNG, that's, that's the answer. Right. It's not going to come from the outside. PNG is too hard. You know, you've got 850 plus languages. You've got many inaccessible parts where you've got to hike for, for days and days just to get there. There is no plane that can land in that space. You're not going to be able to afford the helicopters and, you know, what are you going to do? Parachute into all these places It's not going to happen. You know, right. we don't even have the resources, even if you could. And so looking at PNG, how do they heal from within? I think it's, it's got to come through a viral storytelling. It's got to come through intentional community development where they hear something that's of, of importance and then they pass it on to the next and the next. Yeah. I love that about many of the different nonprofits there, but definitely Youth at the Mission and YWAM Ships, what they do, they do not just come in from the outside, but they partner deeply within with, with local healthcare workers, regional health authorities. They listen and they serve, and then they work together to see these kind of shifts come. And I'm hoping that that will continue. We had some great you know, commitments from the local youth of the mission leadership. They watched the film in the Capitol when they were together for a, a training session, uh, these, this six week seminar. And when they watched it, the whole room was just weeping is what I was told. And so out of seeing beyond the Island, then they said, we want to show it and share it. And we had many different ones say, we will we'll send our teams with the film We'll put it onto the micro SD cards that can be transmitted and, and given away uh, along with scripture. You know, you know, we've got amazing works with Wycliffe SIL and, and lots of different Bible projects for getting the Bible out through PNG. Well, with it can come a story of someone real that they can understand in, in a trade language. Our, our film is all in Tuck Pigeon with English subtitles. I don't know how you guys enjoyed that, but they love it in PNG. Let me tell you, yeah. they're used to getting everything in English. English is their educational, their governmental language, but it is not their heart language and it's not even their trade language. So right. a country with 850 languages, we wanted to try to get as close to their heart as we could. And we did. It no, in yeah, I, that was challenging, man. That was a lot of a lot of waiting and working with translators and listening and trying to understand something that I kind of think I know what they're talking about. <laughs> right. No, I, I, I actually love that component and you wouldn't know this, Jeff, but years ago I wrote a book and released it only in Swahili because I wanted that for our East African colleagues and, and everything. And so I, I love that. I also loved uh, hearing when the English would come through. So something like uh Number one, most important means uh, like like they, there were all these like little things that they would say it one way, but then like it would translate. But it's all both English. Anyways, I love that. Um, so, guys, the the URL to go check out is beyondtheisland.org. Um, I love seeing the videos and hearing the stories of how this is impacting communities and cities uh, within 
Papua New Guinea. And, and I think it's awesome. Jeff, what are some ways that, I mean, of course people can go and check out the, check out the documentary. It's for free on your guys's website. Um, what are some other ways that people can kind of get behind this project or just kind of, uh, get behind filmmaking that, that does advocate and, and, uh, you know, give the mic to communities and people like Sylvia. Well, I'd love to connect with people through uh, beyondtheisland.org is for the for the movie, but then for the rest of the films that I've been talking about, and then just to connect in general, um, goingfar.org is is a personal film website that I'm doing, and from there, I'd love to connect with people that maybe they feel like they they have a story that needs to be told, maybe they they want to hear stories that are along these lines, and you know, we've got a whole series called the Hawaii Legacy Series that tells redemptive history of, of Hawaii through indigenous voices and and stories like that. And story, Lost Kites and Querida Panama and the other pieces that I've done are all there. So goingfar.org. The the African proverb, you're probably familiar. Um, if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Yep. And I, I don't know it in Swahili, but I, I've heard that many times from African missionaries and others. But that I, I nabbed that for my website name because I thought it was very appropriate. Yeah. And, and you can also, what's your, uh, I think it's Instagram where I'm seeing you most of the time. I, think you're, I know you're on Facebook, Instagram. What are the handles there that people can, can follow? Because I know you have a lot of the Going Far stuff you post there as well. Yeah. Yeah. At Going Far on Instagram. So this, so kind of same. And, and then you can get to my Facebook from the website, but just Jeff Rogers yeah. is, is my main Facebook. I, we've got pages for Lost Kites and Beyond the Island. It's mostly linked to the I Care For You site, but you could get to there from the, the Beyond the Island website links to their Facebook and to their, their website. Um, love what they're doing. Uh, that's something I'd love for people to be able to get behind. We're, we're donating all the proceeds for Beyond the Island directly to I Care For You. And so that's going to help the staff continue to, to provide care. You know, you've got indigenous volunteers and workers there that have very, very real financial needs. And then you have the mothers and children that are affected by HIV that they care for. And so those are the, the main two things that the proceeds are going to. We're not taking any money, but we are trying to give away the film wisely. Um, mm-hmm. There was one one small correction is that the web the website beyondtheisland.org doesn't have the movie for free. Actually, it has the trailer there and some little shorter pieces. But we are inviting people to stream and download it for a small, you know, donation. Yeah, and then that money all is going to I care for you. And so with that, it gives us a little bit of money that helps them practically. And then beyond that, we're doing benefit screenings. Um, we've got one coming up in February that is scheduled for for Brisbane, Australia, and they're doing one in Sydney. There, there's it's going out in, in a lot of different surprising ways. Um, Vanuatu just had a screening at a university there, and so we we want to see it go out. But as it goes out, we want to give people an invitation to to partner with I Care for You yeah. because we love what they're doing. Um, you know, not every movie can be just given away as, as a donation, but it was something that early on with the roots of the story for my son and for myself and with George and with Sylvia, it just felt very appropriate 
that this one needed yeah. to to go out in that way. So yeah, I hope people can yeah take a look right. and and tune in. There's um, a few articles and things there as well that might help give some some tips on how to get started on this. Um, GNI.thinkific.com is a basic little e-learning thing that I did to help people get started on mobile media. And it highlights a few pieces. One that we did in partnership with Will Without Orphans shows you how to use a mobile phone to capture a, a, a basic story and avoid some of the normal pitfalls of that. So I think that that would have some good resources for people. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. I encourage you folks to go check that out. And yeah, go go watch the movie and uh, you know give that donation. One hundred percent will go to I Care for You, which is which is pretty awesome. You don't you don't hear that very often with films. So um, grateful for that, Jeff. And uh, you know we kind of have our last two questions. We ask everyone kind of our our version of a lightning round. You know we don't we don't really have a lightning round questions, but these are the closest we got. So, but our closing questions: what uh, what have you read, watched, or listened to? that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children and families with excellence? Mm. Well, I, I think um, I mean, there's a lot of pieces out there. I, I, I referenced um, sex and money for the human trafficking piece. That was early on for me, so it kind of shifted my thinking. Hakani was a documentary that, that was done as a docudrama. And it, it affected great change in shifting the legislation for Brazil to help end infanticide in some of the, the vulnerable, you know, village communities in the Amazon. Um, so Hakani.org is available. People can still see that and Google it. And if you start Googling it, you'll see an incredible controversy because people drastically misunderstood it in, in, you know, American media, and some of the the Brazilian political institutions had a lot of money on the line of preventing these these villages from getting help and getting status as real citizens. And so there's a lot of misinformation out there. But that piece, the understanding and the misunderstanding of it both is very profound for me in seeing what, what that teaches me. Yeah. yeah. So this would be some of it. And of course, just like hundreds of overcomer stories people who who have overcome like sylvia like like the young woman i i mentioned in calcutta um i learned so much from them that's that's where it really pushes me to keep going and to keep you know capturing stories and and doing doing what i can so those those would be some of the things that have most impacted me i would say yeah, no, that's great. And and uh, last question: what what person has uh, most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? I was thinking about this. I think I think it would be back in Panama um, with with Brittany and Sam. We met Sister Lourdes, and she's like a Mother Teresa to the nation of Panama. And her honesty and love for the kids, willingness to share about failures where 98% of the kids would never get out of their system and only 2% in her orphanage, the best orphanage in the nation, air quotes, you know, was only seeing 2% of kids ever get to a family of any kind. They would grow up in behind the bars and behind you know, the walls that are meant to protect them, but they would have so difficult and terrible outcomes for so many. And she shared that in honesty and with tears and with love and with faith that it could change. 
she shared that with us for what would what became national television. The risk of that is so is so profound to this day. I think about how that sparked from there to Lost Kites to everything else, you know, that we've been doing in, in documentary with Sam and myself and many others. I think a lot of it comes back to her courage and her voice. So Sister Lourdes. That's great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jeff. Thank you for uh, your friendship. Thank you for Absolutely. your time today and uh, just all you're doing, man. I'm I'm so encouraged by you, by your story, by your stories you're telling um, as well. And I look forward to the the continuing stories that you're going to continue telling. I know until God takes you home someday, uh, hopefully long off. Um, but uh, but that's uh, it's I'm excited. I'm excited to to continue hopefully working with you on some projects too. So thanks. Thanks, man. Love it. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you, Brandon. Really appreciate what you guys are doing with Think Orphan. All the best. Well, as usual, uh, just a lot of great stuff in there. I'm, I'm so glad that uh, I went out there to visit my daughter to Kona and uh, that she went out to YWAM. So I got to spend more time with Jeff and we got, we got this great conversation with him. Um, just so many, like I said in there, I mean, so many good things we could have unpacked for hours and hours. And I actually spent like four hours with him, and we were like, we could keep going, but we had to go and he had to go. Um, what'd you think, man? What'd you think of that? No, it was great. It was great to meet Jeff. Uh, you know, I'm familiar with some of his work and, you know, I, I think the power of film is just really, um, I think the world understands it. And, and, you know, the more that we can get the OVC and orphan care space to really continue, I mean, I mean, in as much as is possible to really kind of embrace that. I know we talked a little bit about this, you know, storytelling and media with Nick Runyon last year, um, you know, which, I just think it's so critical. So having these types of pieces, especially the long form, the documentary, um, I just think it's really powerful. So I just really appreciate Jeff's work and, and the impact that it can have, you know, I, I, my, again, my apologies to Brittany and everybody in Panama, but one of the things that, um, that Sam was, uh, mentioning, despite me bumbling over the country name, uh, one of the things that Sam mentioned yesterday in our team meeting, was, you know, even how that uh, documentary that they turned around real quick or like it was like a short or something before mm -hmm. it. But like, man, this piece like went and like advocated in front of the U.N. when they were yep. like out of HIV medicine. And it was just kind of this whole story of just kind of the power that this type of medium can play in supporting, you know, vulnerable communities like those yeah. that are HIV positive and they need medication or, or there's stigma that's attached to this disease or what, well, you know, or like what lies kites, you know, what does it look like when a kid's outside of parental care? Like these types of mediums are just so powerful um, and so needed within our space. So it was cool just to kind of hear, you know, and, and Jeff is such a storyteller, you know, you can just like kind of see him boiling over. There was this kid in there's, there's this girl yeah. in Calcutta and, and my son had this vision and, you know, it's just like, he just, he just has all these stories, which is just awesome and, and just pours over into his work. So uh, yeah, it was great to just kind of hear from Jeff and, and reflect on the power uh, that film can play you know, to tell the stories of, of vulnerable people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we went pretty long, uh, during this interview, you know, it's, it's storytelling. When you get going story on story, 
it, it goes, it goes and it's good stuff. So, but we are going to, I think we're just going to wrap it up unless you have any final thought. I want to give you that last thought and then we're going to go right into the recommendations. And I want to hear the recommendation. I, right. I want to hear the recommendation. Go for so it. So here we go. Here we go. The recommendation, we're going to keep it on the film uh, train here. And there's a movie that I watched. It's a docudrama back in, it's probably it's right when I was getting going. I was going to Brazil. It's back in 2005. I actually watched the DVD. That's how long it's been since the, that I watched this. But The City of God, uh, I think it's just called City of God, actually. And it's about the favelas in, in, uh, in Rio, Brazil, I believe. It was in Rio. And, um, and it was a fascinating movie. Um, just a great film about this little, uh, he, was a, he was a boy who was a, a photographer. And um, it just shows the favelas. And the other thing about it, if you can get your hands on a DVD of it, and you actually have a DVD player still, um, you could watch the special features of it, which were just amazing. Actually, I had a little documentary interviews with people from the favelas talking about the kind of the criminal side of it, um, being in the favelas and the desperation that then turned into crime. They basically, a little little uh, teaser is they asked that one of the guys in jail, he was in the prison there in, in Brazil, and they said, why do you steal and rob people? Um, and they said, well, we're just trying to get what's ours. My mom worked really hard as, you know, as a housekeeper and she's, we're still in the favelas. My grandma worked really hard and then, you know, we're still in the favelas. And so we know the only way out is to do this. Right. And it was just to get that mindset again, to learn and not just assume they're evil, bad people, which, you know, and some people are, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, so that, you know, you don't know what you'd do if you were in desperate situations like these people are in. So to be able to have empathy, to be able to have that um, uh, ability to, to enter in, which again is the power of storytelling. And so just it's a, it's a film that really opened my eyes before I went to Brazil. Um, and uh, so I, I just strongly encourage that um, film uh, to, to anyone out there and those who have seen it will know and remember and you know it makes me want to go watch it again but but yeah try to yeah. find maybe on YouTube get the special features to be able to see that as well well that's good man well I would just uh, encourage our listeners go to thinkorphan.com uh, get into the show notes there's going to be a lot of links mm-hmm. and, and I think for the next week or so you can uh, skip <laughs> Netflix at night and just uh, watch stuff that, that Jeff Rogers has been a part of watch uh, City of God at Phil's recommendation and you know, let's 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 uh, choose to partake in stuff that's going to cause us to think. You know, think about how we can better care for orphans and vulnerable children. Uh, things that are going to compel us towards compassion and empathy uh, towards other people that are going through hard times. So, uh, yeah, good Absolutely. good recommendation there, man. I'm gonna have to check it out. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, definitely do. And, uh, you know, folks, as, as Brandon said at the beginning, we don't do this enough, but subscribe to the show, uh, rate and review. That always helps us. But most importantly, and I, and I say this, I say this uh, relatively often, the best way to share this show is word of mouth. Directly tell people. If it's helping you, I know it's going to help other people in your circles. So share these different interviews. If it's helped you, if there's an interview, a particular one, hand it out. The one guy I think about every time when I do this is Jafat Shafamba, man. I remember he, early on, he's like, I share it with everybody in Zimbabwe, you know, and I, knowing Jafat, I, he probably does. Um, and, uh, but do that because that's why we do this is to help you and to help others in your communities in, you know, at the interview like today to find out about filmmaking and even just to hear that little nugget at the end. Hey, how can you take your phone and tell a story and avoid the pitfalls that we often do? Like, check that out. 
And maybe it will transform. Maybe we'll get in front of some people that will really help you. Who knows? Um, but the other thing I loved about today was just that the collaboration, man. We, we want you to work together. And this might be a great way to work together too, is just say, hey, let's listen to some of these podcasts together and see how we can work together. So whatever that looks like, I just encourage you to do so. Share the podcast. And um, as always, most importantly, take everything you're learning on the show and use it to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple weeks. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.